The rest of us are going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning, so if you have a Bible, you can find the New Testament book called 2 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter 7. I want to begin by reading a quote from a very strong critic of Christianity, a strong critic of the Christian church. Uh, I've enjoyed reading some of this, writing, uh, this person's writings just because um, they're interesting. Here's the critique. Sentimentality is the most detrimental corruption of the church today. Sentimentality is the most detrimental corruption of the church today. Now, I'm not sure if that's correct or not, but it does get me thinking um, because what he's saying is when the church is most consumed and most focused on feelings, uh, it leads to a lot of trouble for the church and for the people of God. Sentimentality. He's not saying it's wrong to be sentimental. Sentimentality is a different thing. It's, it's driven by feelings. It's driven by emotions. It's not driven by objective realities and facts. And the quote resonates with me because I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul circumstantially doesn't feel good. The Corinthians circumstantially don't feel good. The apostles who are infiltrating the church, I don't think, feel good. No one feels good. And so what we see happening, though, is the Apostle Paul, to help the church, and to help himself, if you will, but to help the Corinthian church who's really struggling, what he does is he tells them the truth about who Jesus really is. And he tells them the truth about who he really is and the gospel he's really preaching. And he tells them what they, how they need to think differently about Christ and what He provides. And He tells them how they, they need to break off certain bad relationships that are, being, uh, that are misleading to them. He's giving them facts. And I don't think the Apostle Paul would say, the facts don't care about your feelings. I don't think he would say that. But first and foremost, it's not about feeling. First and foremost, it's, it's not about the sentimentality. First and foremost, it is about who Jesus is, what He's accomplished, what He promises to you freely, what the true gospel is, what the false gospel is and how it shouldn't be combined. And now, you can see straight. Now you can see straight. And now you can do church ministry that's actually legitimate. And now, even though you have all these other difficulties, because they're having other difficulties, and Paul's having other circumstantial, circumstantial difficulties, you can at least see straight and understand how God is working. And you can think clearly about God and the world around you, and it will be better for you. And I might even suggest, you'll feel better. You'll feel better. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I, I don't mind telling you ahead of time, um, it's, it's, not, it's hard to find sermons on. I know, I've checked. Okay? One of the things I like to do at the end of the week, going on a Saturday bike ride or something, is to listen to some good sermons and on the text and, okay, what did they say about that? Oh, I like that. I don't like that. Whatever it is, it kind of helps me and clear my mind. You don't find a lot of real popular sermons on 2 Corinthians 7. In, in a lot of ways, 2 Corinthians 7 is just, it's so personal that it's just kind of messy. It's kind of confusing. But if you think of it like this, I don't think it has to be that confusing. And I'm going to try to do the whole thing today. So 15 verses so we won't read it and then reread it. We'll just read it one time through. But what ends up happening is it's, it's all about Paul personally engaged in their life and the Corinthians living real life and needing to make real life decisions and how they're being tested by God. 
and how if they can just see above it all and understand how God works, it's going to be a lot better for them. So it actually ends up being helpful, but it's so practical and we're not them that you kind of go, that was a weird chapter. <laughs> so I'm going to try to help you to have, not, have you not think of it as a weird chapter. It's, it's God's word, right? <laughs> I want to be careful. But we're, we're, we're eavesdropping in a real relationship with real feelings where people need to think differently about Jesus and the gospel and then act accordingly. And that would really help us to be able to do that. And so hopefully with that kind of mindset, it will be helpful. So the first five chapters have been about who Christ is, what Christ has accomplished. He's our new covenant mediator. Uh, He is all we need ultimately, his righteousness given to us, forgiveness found in him. The apostle Paul is the true apostle representing that, not the false apostles trying to corrupt that. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says you need to separate from those who promote something false. So that would be hard And now, if we get to our text, we're not going to see shallow sentimentality. We're going to have a pretty deep dive of personal engagement about what matters and what doesn't matter and why. Ready? Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, because verse 1 went with chapter 6. It says, make room in your hearts for us. He already said that in chapter 6, verse 13, essentially. Make room in your hearts for us. And what he's saying is, to the Corinthian believers who are struggling, he's saying, affirm us as family, spiritual family. He just called the Corinthian believers to to distance themselves from the false teachers. And part of doing that means they're embracing Paul as a legitimate apostle. So Paul's going to say, I welcome you into my heart. Right? We couldn't get closer. We're siblings spiritually. And now, as a test to see if you really believe the biblical gospel, because I'm actually an apostle of Jesus, affirm me. Don't shun me. Don't distance me. This is a test to see if you guys are on the right track. I think you are. But now I'm asking you to open your heart wide and embrace us, accept us. Because if you're accepting us, true apostles, you're accepting what? You're accepting the true Christ. You're accepting the, the, the true gospel. And remember, apostleship is a huge, big deal. Again, I've said many times, if I wanted to start a cult, I would say Apostle Pat. Because if I actually know what I'm talking about and people are tracking, apostles were people who saw the risen Christ. Apostles were people who were commissioned with the authority of Christ. That's why we, when we read a letter like this and it's Paul the Apostle, you say, whoa, not just any letter. He carries the authority of Christ. And so he's saying, embrace me. But not just because it'll be nicer. Embrace me because I'm an apostle, the true apostle, not like the other apostles of chapter 11. And if you do that, you show you're on Christ's side. Now, utter arrogance if he's not really one. But if he really is one, it's a huge big deal. It's a huge big deal. I'm going to tell a story about a member here that I didn't tell him ahead of time, but he can handle it. I remember being at a conference one time with my friend Eric Ball. And Eric Ball was sitting behind C.J. Mahaney. And C.J. Mahaney claims to be an apostle. And I love watching my friend Eric work. He couldn't stand it. Afterward, he, after the singing or something, he goes, oh, they meet, meet each other. And he goes, I have a question for you. Tell me about being an apostle. <laughs> I loved it. I wanted to run out of the room. <laughs> but I was so happy that Eric was doing it. And he explained it away as, I'm a church planter, I, I know what you mean, and I'm not that. And, well, I'm thankful for that. 
Sorry for telling the story, Eric. <laughs> he was bolder than I am, and I was glad. Because if you're really an apostle, not just a church planter, not to slight church planters, if you're an apostle, when you speak, it's red letter. So Paul's saying, hey, I'm preaching Christ alone, reconciliation, new creation, all who've trusted in Christ. You don't have to listen to these guys who tell you you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be uh, accepted by God. No, I'm telling you the truth. And now he's saying, accept me. Because by accepting me, you're accepting the truth. I speak with the authority of Christ. Again, if there's no such thing as objective truth, if there's no such thing as the historic Jesus who historically bodily was raised from the dead, then Paul's just uh, just a, a piece of work. But if there's objective reality, and he preaches the truth about objective reality, oh, then, then we're really on to something. Okay, let's keep going lest we never get done. I won't call anybody else out in the congregation, I promise. Number, verse, verse 2, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. Probably in contrast to those other faker apostles. They corrupted the gospel and that leads to corruption. They've wronged you by telling you not the truth about Jesus. I'm not like those guys. We've not taken advantage of you, but they certainly have taken advantage of you. I love verse 2. I would want us to be able to say that as a church, that we've not done that to anyone. And there's only one way we can actually truly say that. Because we have faults. But if we're talking about the message of Christ, we can say there's been no corruption. Right? There's been no meddling. There's been no manipulation. We've just given you the biblical Christ. And He's done that and He can say that. Verse 3, I do not say this to condemn you. For I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. So just so they don't, under, don't misunderstand, he, Paul is... I'll be careful not to point the finger at any of you. He's pointing a finger at somebody, but he's not pointing the finger at the Corinthians. Yes, he's been strong. Yes, he's calling for them to embrace him. But he's calling out the false teachers. What we're going to see Paul do here is great pastoring. He thinks the Corinthians are really Christians. And so he's acting them to act like Christians, but he's showing great love for them and care. And he's saying, when I'm talking about the corruptors, I don't mean you but I do mean those other guys. We're, we're together in life and death. There's unity. There's solidarity in Christ. You're in our hearts. I care. This isn't mere sentimentality. This is truth re, in, re, related to relationship and care and concern. It's a, it's a beautiful kind of thing that he's doing here. It's not either or. I want to be like that. Verse 4 says, I am acting with great boldness toward you. Think about that just for a moment. We'll quickly go to verse 4. Of the letter. I'm acting with, no doubt, I'm being greatly bold. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being bold. I'm saying, there is truth. There is error. You're following error. But I, you have a track record, and so I'm calling you to come back to the truth. I'm speaking with great boldness. Again, I would want us to be like that in ministry. I know people aren't used to it. They're used to sentimentality. But boldness says, believe in Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. And if you trust in Him, you'll have eternal life because that's what He said. But if you don't, you'll perish. So to say, when someone says salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, versus someone says it's by Jesus and your faithfulness, 
Paul calls it out and says, that's wrong. Bold. I'm being bold. This is risky. Think about how this goes on all the time in the life of the church. You, you hear something that doesn't align with your behavior or your beliefs. And then you have a decision to make. Am I going to change my behavior or my beliefs or am I going to take my ball and go somewhere else? But Paul's saying, I'm willing to be bold. I, I acknowledge I'm being bold. I'm, I'm speaking truth objectively about Jesus and those who are not aligning with Him are playing for the wrong team. It's bold. I'm being bold with you. That's how ministry works. I remember on one occasion, almost identical individuals and, and telling each of them the gospel. And it, it was risky. Both scenarios were risky because it was straightforward, clear. One person affirmed, affirmed, affirmed. But it was bull. I, I, I swung for the fence, if that's something you do. I've never played baseball, but I think you do that. I went for it. And then several years later, I don't know how long later, it was almost an identical kind of situation. And I thought, oh, I've met you before, you know, different name, different face. And, and I had a relationship with other family members. And I thought this could go great. And this could go poorly. So I went for it, same exact message, and it all blew up in my face. We're bold. The Apostle Paul's calling them, based upon a past track record, to embrace the true gospel again. But it could blow up in his face. He doesn't think it's going to. But it could, and sometimes it does. But you know what? Omaha Bible Church and you as a Christian, we are together as a ministry, this is what we do. We have a bold ministry. And it seems in some ways to get bolder, not because we're trying to make it bolder, but because we don't speak in terms of objectivity. I was reading this past week some quotations from uh, Howard Zinn, probably the most influential historian in American education in the last, since 1980. And he says there's no such thing as objective fact. Well, it's no wonder that we don't say, I believe this or I think this. We say, I feel this because there's no such thing as objectivity. So we've got our work cut out for us. We're trying to be bold, but we sound extraordinarily harsh and mean and bold, and we don't mean to be. It's hard. Got to think like a missionary. How can we keep it the same and explain it to people? This is how ministry works. Well, here's optimism. He's optimistic. Verse 4 goes on to say, I said we would go quickly to the rest of verse 4. I lied. I'm sorry. Let's go. Verse 4 goes on to say, I have great pride in you. It's a word for boasting. I think so highly of you. Right? The Apostle Paul was the one that, that evangelized them in Corinth and they were pagan worshipers, rank pagan worshipers, and they come to believe in the true living God. Right? I, I've gr I boast in you what, 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 what's happened in your life and commitment to the gospel in the past. I am filled with comfort in all our afflictions. See, things aren't going well circumstantially. I am overflowing with joy. More about that in just a little while. But he, again, exhortation, accept us. I'm being bold. But he's not the mean, nasty guy. Oh, no, I, 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 I think you're going to respond the right way. 
Then he does what I'm going to call a little walk down memory lane. So verses 5 to 9... Some, in some of your translations, it's indented as a different paragraph because now he, he, he takes them back to history. He takes them back to the past. He's going to remind them of how the, uh, they've lived in the past and thought in the past. So he jogs their memory. Let's go to verse 5. For even when we came into Macedonia, so up to the north quite a ways, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So this is something he talked about back in chapter 2, verse 13. You probably don't remember that, but he talked about Macedonia when he, he wanted to come to Corinth and he couldn't come to Corinth. And so Titus gets sent to Corinth and then Titus comes back to Macedonia to give Paul a report. Okay, did I say it too fast? Macedonia, he's going to talk about back when uh, he couldn't make it to Corinth, so he sends Titus to Corinth. Okay, there's a harsh letter involved that we don't have. It's called the harsh letter oftentimes. So we have 1 Corinthians, we have another letter that we don't have, and not inspired, not part of the canon, um, and then we have 2 Corinthians. Okay? So Titus had to deliver great confrontation and then bring Paul a message back, an update. Okay? We talked about that in chapter 2. He's going to talk about that now though. Look, but God... Even when he came into Macedonia and, and things were going badly circumstantially. Verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast. I would love to preach a sermon just on that statement. But God who comforts the downcast. Maybe we'll do that another day. But it's hard to experience this amazing comfort from God when you're upcast. <laughs> okay. When things are hard and you I don't know what to do. I'm desperate. Okay, God comforts the downcast, and then he tells us how he does it. Comforted us by, coming, by the coming of Titus, Pastor Titus, commissioned by Paul the Apostle. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me. I wrote in my margin, a true apostle who spoke the true gospel, so that I rejoice still more. Now that is, that is, that is a little, um, that's, a, that's an encouragement fest. It's all wrapped up together. This is, this is fascinating to think how Christians who suffer, struggle, have conflicts, and then die, find encouragement that are above mere sentimentality. Look, look, please look what happens. This is how, this is how, this is how Christians get encouragement this, in this amazing way. He's, he's comforted by seeing Titus. So there's God, God comforts, so God comforts through human means. God comforts through his seeing Titus. That, that warmed his heart to see Titus. Seeing another Christian comforts him. Then keep thinking about it in verse 7. Then comforted by the fact that Titus was comforted. Oh, God's supernaturally working in Paul's life to comfort him because he sees Titus. That's comforting. Not only that, is he encouraged by the fact that Titus is encouraged. So God's supernaturally comforting, encouraging a Christian because they observe other people being encouraged, supernaturally comforted as Christians. Pretty fascinating. And why is that? If we continue to think about verse 7, it's because the Corinthians were responding rightly to biblical exhortation. Because that's the news that Titus brings back. They responded the right way. They affirm your apostleship. They affirm your authority. Things went well in Corinth, Paul. Paul's like, I'm so encouraged. I'm encouraged myself. I'm encouraged that you're encouraged. It's just a big encouragement fest. 
And we laugh, but just to think about Christians struggling with different things. So where do we get, you know, buoyed up from, from the tumultuous circumstance? Well, one way is God, right? That's all the Sunday school kids get that right. The answer is God. But here it's God through human means giving a report that Christians are acting Christianly. It's good. If you want to be encouraged, there's other ways to be encouraged, but when you can observe other Christians responding to God's word of exhortation and they're responding the right way, that's supernatural from God encouragement. I told my wife, I said I wasn't going to talk about anybody else in the congregation. Oh, that counts her. I, I do like to tell, I do like to, to share good news. I won't use her. I like to share good news. I share bad news sometimes with different people and say, did you hear what happened? Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you, did, did you hear what's going on over here? And just to see Christians be happier because they heard about someone else doing what honors God. Because we know it honors God. We know it honors, it helps the person. Uh, it's good for the church. We're, we're, sh- we're sharing testimonies of God's grace working in the lives of people is what we're doing. Here's my quotation. Believers find encouragement from witnessing other believers rightly responding to God. Believers find encouragement from witnessing other believers rightly responding to God. Because it's right, because it honors God, because it's best for the person, because it's good for the church. So as an aside, if you want to find encouragement, spend time with other Christians. Not who are always downers, but who are going to talk about what's going on in people's lives. Verse 8 goes, uh, then we have verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, the harsh letter calling for them to deal with some kind of sin, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. Double talk? I just think he's, he, he's like the nurse who says, this is going to hurt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay grieving you because I told you the truth. I, 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 I didn't give you mere warm and fuzzies because we're talking about objective. I gave you the truth. It led to bad feelings. But you know what? I wasn't intending to grieve you. I wasn't just that guy, pastor, Mr. Mean Guy, trying to get a pound of flesh out of everybody. No, bold, led to grief, and I'm okay with that. But you know what? I'm really not okay with that because I'm not that guy. I sound, I sound schizophrenic up here, I think, trying to explain this to you. I hope I'm not, and I hope I don't really. I, I find tremendous balance in what he's doing here. And, and you know people are going to accuse him. You're just the grieving guy. You're just the grief guy. And the fa- false apostles, you can read between the lines, you know, lo- lobbing bombs at him. He doesn't care. He's Mr. Mean McMeany Pants. And if he cared, blah, 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 blah. I don't have a problem grieving you. But you know what? I wasn't really trying to grieve you. I care. You're in my heart. But I speak the truth. I love the balance of the whole thing. 
Meanie McMeanie pants. We're going we're gonna to copyright that. Um, he's on point, we would say. Let's go to verse 9, having too much fun with this. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. I mean, that, that, that is a lot of goodness right there going on. That, there's a lot of theology there helping us under, to understand how to do real good and right ministry. Think about what would have happened if there would have been no confrontation with the truth. Here's my quiz. Right here, here's what I want to get you to think about this. If there would have been no confrontation about the truth, well, there would have been no grief. There would have been no bad feelings. But if there would have been no confrontation, then no grief, then there would have been no what? There would have been no repentance. So it's, it's good and calculated. Maybe it doesn't lead to repentance. But you've got to try. When I speak the truth, even with boldness, it may lead to bad feelings, grief, and trouble. But it led to repentance. And that's good. And that's right. And that honors God. And it's good for you. And it's good for the church. I'm so glad we're doing 2 Corinthians 7 or I, I never really would have thought about this. Sentimentality would not have done that. Verse 10. A little bit more on how repentance works. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So there's feeling bad and there's feeling bad. There's two different kinds of feeling bad. But you're not going to feel bad in this context if you don't hear the truth. So there's two different kinds. People say this is like Peter and Judas. Both felt really bad for doing something very similar. One repented, one repented, repented, one didn't. And so therefore one is on the road of salvation and life and one is on the road of condemnation, suffering, and death. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we want to try to do. Okay. Let's move on. Foresee what earnestness, genuineness, see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. Doing the right thing. Right? You see what's happened. You know, I think you're going to do the right thing. But I know those false apostles are trying to mislead you and I'm trying to remind you of what's happened in your past. There's a good track record. There's fruitfulness. And so, so remember how, how this has led to good things. This has led to earnestness. This has led to you wanting to do the right thing. They're going to paint me as the bad cat and I'm not. I care. 
And look, it's, it's actually to produce good things in your life. Keep reading there with me if you would. But also, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, that's strong opposition in this case to what's wrong. What fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. And the reason that sounds odd is it's probably referencing again the harsh letter where they responded the right way and they dealt with someone in the church who must have been leading this thing against Paul to the point of discipline, to the point of, that's why he uses the punishment word. You, you guys got the strong exhortation and you did the right thing. You acted. And it was good for you and it was good for the life of the church and no doubt you would agree with me. So now here we are again. Hard to live in Corinth and be a Christian. Back to struggling. I'm going to help you. Bar the doors from those false apostles. I think you're going to do it. Embrace us. I think you're going to do it. Verse 11 then goes on to say, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, the one who was punished, nor the, for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us, true apostles, proclaiming the true gospel, might be revealed to you in the sight of God. I love that. Think about it with me. Ultimately, it wasn't about the bad guy in the church even though you did the right thing. Ultimately, it wasn't about me. Ultimately, it wasn't about... Ultimately, it was a test for you. Ultimately, it was a test for you. Before God, in the sight of God, who sees everything. Ultimately, yeah, circumstances come, circumstances go. There's all kinds of things that happen. Ultimately, what happened there, with that past ca- uh, case is... You proved yourself to to be on the right side before the eyes of God. That's what he's saying. And now he's suggesting you have another opportunity. See, life is filled for the church, let's put it in these terms, is filled with tests. So in so many ways, it's just, you know, same old, same old, another conflict again. I met you before, but you had a different face and a different name. And now we have this one, and then we have that one, and then there's this one, and there's this kind of trial, this kind of temptation. And they keep coming, and Paul's saying, it's kind of like the last one. And you did the right thing before the eyes of God. Ultimately, it wasn't about the guy. Ultimately, it wasn't about anything other than you did the right thing before God. So it's time to do another right thing before God. And right now it's time for me to say to Omaha Bible Church, the tests come. Who knows what they're going to look like? Sometimes it's going to be same people, different names, different faces. But what we're trying to ultimately do is speak the truth about the objective, real, genuine Christ to forgive sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, the one true, unique one mediator between God and man, and everyone who, everyone who trusts in Him is made a new creation. And we're going to have all kinds of tests to distract us from that, or things like that. But I love it that He's saying, you, you've been living in the sight of God. If we can, if we can help, if, if God can help us to do what we do and make choices we make to know that ultimately we're doing what we do in the sight of God, really going to help us.
ultimately it's not about the circumstances. As sometimes we've been saying in our family lately and we're stealing it from somewhere else, we can't control the circumstances, but we can control our response to it. General truism, right? How are we going to deal with this? Well, let's deal with it in a way that is good for us. Let's deal in a, with it in a way that honors God. Well, it's not altogether different than in the, in, the, in the life of the church. Okay, let's go to verse 13 and make our way through. All together now, 13 to 16, therefore we are comforted. We're encouraged by the work of God, uh, by, by the God of all comfort. Therefore we are comforted by God as he's been working. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater. And he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. That's how you meet God, by the way. And Titus, as a pastor, is a man of God sent by the apostle of God. So they responded the right way as uh, uh, someone with authority that's unique. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Once again, you've done the right thing. It leads to good things to do the right thing. Do the right thing. Right? This, this whole church business, it's, 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 not a, it's not a business. I was going to say the church, it's, this isn't a game. But it is a test. And the tests keep coming. Before we end, I just have to zero in. Again, I would like to preach a whole sermon on it. But I, I just can't help because we're not going to do this next week. But I, I want to go back. We're not going to preach a whole new sermon next week just on this statement. But I want you to just look and see that the Apostle Paul says what he says in verse 14 toward the end there. Just as everything we said to you was true. I mean, it's so good. My first question is, how could anyone say that? Last time I checked, the Apostle Paul is not the fourth member of the Godhead. <laughs> okay? Everything we said to you is true. How could the chief of sinners say, because that's what he calls himself, everything I said to you is true. I think there's only one way. And it's if what he said to them was the truth, the historic, objective, real truth about Jesus and how to be right with Jesus. And he could say, every single thing we told you is true. I love that. Number one, there is objective truth. Sorry, Howard's in. But number two, I think we could say that. I think we should want to be able to say that to people. People make up this Christ and that Christ and that gospel and this new revelation and this and that and the other thing. We would want to be able to say to someone, everything we've said to you has been true not because of something we feel inside or because we're megalomaniacs, egomaniacs times a bazillion, but because we're 
speaking what God has already spoken through the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. Come to me, all who are burdened by your sin, and I will give you rest. It's only found in Christ. That's true. It's true. We would, we, we would want to be that kind of church and have that kind of ministry. God, help us to do that, even as we learn from the Apostle Paul in this kind of unique situation. Everything we say is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for even our tradition of going through books of the Bible like this. I'm thankful because it's a blessing to me as a pastor, because it helps me to think differently. It helps me to be stretched beyond what I would normally gravitate toward. I'm thankful that you use that in the life of this church as well. We're grateful today to know that you, the God of all comfort, uh, comfort us supernaturally, no doubt by the Holy Spirit, no doubt through Bible reading, through the preaching of your word and other means, but we're also grateful to know that you, the God of all comfort, comfort us even through the ministry of other believers in our lives. And we're grateful for that. May Christ be honored and glorified as we go here. May we go with grateful hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.